you hear about things like that happening, but they always happen to somebody else. They happen to other people. And this time it didn't happen to other people. It happened to my dad. This is a podcast for the infinitely curious, where we share stories, invite others to share stories, and sometimes just talk for the hell of it. So, take a few minutes out of your busy day, sit back and join our host, Steve Windus, batting the breeze. It's 1994. David Tony was 24 years old and living in Ashland, Kentucky, USA. I grew up in eastern Kentucky. It's a fairly mountainous region. I was always active and into sports, always outside. As I got into my teenage years, I started doing things that I shouldn't at that age, drinking, drug use, and end up joining the military due to lack of opportunity in the area. I asked David about his father, Tom. Dad had an eighth grade education, but the man could do anything. He could draft, he could weld, he could do electrical, he could do plumbing. Everything that he could do, he was self-taught. And he did that all just to earn a living to feed his family. It was July and the plant where David worked was closed for routine maintenance. The family were relaxing, everything was chilled, but it was then that David received a call. We had been out at the lake that week at some friend's house, and then everything come crashing down about 3.30, 4 o'clock the next morning. My mother's brother called me, and he uh, told me he had bad news. That a police officer had chased my dad's van, and the guy who was in it got out with a handgun and started shooting and uh, took off running on foot and got away. David knew immediately that this wasn't his father. At the time, he'd ruptured a disc in his back and would have been unable to run. Dean Akers, lieutenant at the time, which happened to be my dad's neighbor as well. He found out that what was going on about dad not coming home, and he immediately initiated a missing persons report. The police arrested a Roy Pierce on the 19th of July, which was actually Tom's 50th birthday. They'd found personal possessions of his in Tom's van and enough evidence to be sure that they had their man. You hear about things like that happening, but they always happen to somebody else. They happen to other people. And this time it didn't happen to other people. It happened to my dad. However, the police had still not located Tom's body. Only Pierce knew where he was. They kind of bluffed him a little bit. They made out like they had the body, they had the weapons, they had everything. One of the things they told him to do was confess to everything that you did, write it out in a statement, draw a map of where you took him, where you left him, and what happened. And on that, they used the map that he drew, and it took them until the ninth to find the body, to find Dad's body. Roy Pierce had been waiting and trying to carjack somebody at a grocery store called Foodland in Ashland. Right before Dad got there, someone had called the police because he had just tried to open the door of a teenage girl that was driving by. And luckily, her door was locked. 
and she was able to drive off, and she got someone called 911 and sent the police over there. Unfortunately for Tom, before any police could arrive, Pierce had then turned his attention to him. He pistol-whipped him, walked up behind him and hit him in the head with a 9mm and fractured his skull and drove to an abandoned industrial park on the Boyd-Greenup County line. He got him out of the vehicle and tied him up to a tree. He came over there and was shooting near his legs while he was sitting there tied to the tree. And after he shot near his leg, he walked up, stuck the gun behind his head, and pulled the trigger. Just a few months later, in December, Pierce went to trial. They walked him in handcuffed in the orange jumpsuit into the courtroom, and he just had a smirk on his face, just a low-life piece of garbage. He came in to plead guilty and to be sentenced. And what they end up offering him, and he agreed to, was no chance of parole for 25 years. And he ended up taking the deal and going to prison. Well, fast forward to the 9th of November, 2020. 26 years later, now it was time to revisit the events of 1994. David told me about the parole hearing. There's four possibilities that could happen during the parole hearing. He could be set free. He could have a five-year deferment and come up for parole again and again, five years. A 10-year deferment, same thing, parole hearing in 10 years. Or he could get a serve out, never comes up for parole, finishes out his sentence, the rest of his natural life. And that's what we wound up getting. Now, that really should have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. Lalia Van Hoos, chairwoman of the Kentucky Parole Board, had signed a directive that convicted criminals attending their first parole hearing could not receive a serve-out. What's more, it was to be retrospective. It effectively overturned the ruling of the previous parole board hearing that David and his family had painfully sat through 26 years after the original crime. Roy Pierce would get another chance of parole. David wasn't prepared to sit back on this. He got to work. I started calling the governor's office. I started calling the attorney general's office. All these people in Kentucky, I started calling, just cold calling. It was a lot of, hey, brother, I feel for you, but I can't reach you. David was fired up. His friend Thomas McNeely helped him set up a petition on change.org. He was incessantly making phone calls, making a nuisance of himself. And then one day, he was given a number to call an Emily Bonestell Postal from the Marcy's Law Organisation, who had some news for him. We'll come back to Marcy's Law in a second, but first, David made the call. And she said, you've been stepping on a lot of toes in Frankfurt. And I said, good. She said, no, it's great that you're doing this. And so there was two other Commonwealth attorneys, Jackie Steele and David Dalt, along with Attorney General Daniel Cameron, filed a suit against the State Board of Corrections. On the 23rd of June, there was a breakthrough. The news was broke at about 1.23 in the afternoon that the governor has replaced Lilia Lee Vanhoos as the chairperson of the parole board. On July the 1st, which happened to be my son's birthday as well, I got a phone call, Denise Durbin. I worked with her. She is the victim's advocate attorney in Daniel Cameron's office. And she said, there has been a deal made on the lawsuit. If they drop the lawsuit, they will drop 
the new directives that's giving everybody new parole hearings. So criminals like Roy Pierce would no longer be given a second chance. He was locked up for good. Now, you may have heard Marcy's Law mentioned a couple of times. Success was achieved with the help of Marcy's Law. Let David explain how that came about. Marcy Nichols, she was stalked and murdered by her ex-boyfriend back in the 80s out in California. Her brother is the one behind Marcy's Law. He and his mother, his family, were in a grocery store. They stopped to get bread, but the guy had been let out of jail. And while in the grocery store, they ran into each other. And that was too much for Marcy's brother. He set about forcing a change in the law. The outcome was Marcy's Law. Marcy's Law ensures that crime victims and their families have constitutional rights equal to that of the accused, which, surprisingly, they wouldn't have otherwise. And Marcy's Law, once it's put into place into the state constitution like it is in Kentucky, they can't say, oops, I forgot to contact you. They have to do it or they have to go get them and start it over. David now lives in Tennessee and is working with the Marcy's Law team to help get Marcy's Law passed there. The main website is marcyslaw.us. You can check it out in the show notes. It's got some really good information if people want to read that and go on there and sign a petition. They've got a petition you can sign. And the more we get that circulated, the better off it'll be. There is one more twist that needs a mention. About the time of the change.org petition, David was contacted by the killer's daughter. She had left a comment on the petition, and she wanted us to know that her dad was a changed man, and she needed her dad and her grandkids, need, or her kids needed her granddad. And we got a dialogue going back and forth. I found out that the day she found this petition was the day that her brother was shot and killed by police officers in Louisiana. And she told me that she just wished she could be with her brother. She just couldn't do it anymore. She wanted to be with her brother. She sent that on the message on a Friday night. I didn't see it till Saturday morning. The next day, I got a hold of the police department in Eunice, Louisiana. said, I don't know how to get in touch with this girl, but could somebody find out and do a welfare check on her? About two hours later, there was another message that showed up on the message board, said, David, I'm okay. Thank you for sending people to check on me. She said, I cannot believe somebody went through that much trouble to make sure I was okay. Do they still keep in touch? We check on each other. We'll make sure that each other's doing okay when we talk. If there's an issue that we'll, we'll sit and try to make sure that each person's on the right. There's one other thing we should mention as well. Mayor Chris Perkins decreed that on July the 31st of 2021, it was Tom Tony Day in Ashland, Kentucky. And they said it was in honor of what I had done to help victims in the state of Kentucky. And where do you stand on the concept of forgiveness? I ain't there yet, but I can show compassion for his daughter. I can show compassion for his grandchildren. Right there is the best I can do today. Maybe tomorrow I'll get there. Not today. I'm no expert on anything. I just show up and take care of what's in front of me each day, one day at a time. 